Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Well, amen. Choir, thank you for leading us in worship this morning, and I pray you've been blessed already, um, especially as we're going to be coming to the Lord's table at the end of this service. Uh, I pray that the Lord will continue to work in our hearts uh, to prepare us uh, for this special time in the life of the church. But at this time, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, that's in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. And last week we uh, started chapter 2 and we're reading about the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And some marvelous, wonderful things happened uh, when the Spirit came to town. It got a lot of people's attention and also raised a lot of questions. What is going on? What does this mean? But you know something? Our God did not leave people with questions. He provided those people with a preacher. He provided those people with someone that would proclaim his word. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at uh, Peter's sermon uh, on the day of Pentecost. So once you've found your place, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's words. We show respect and reverence. But Peter, standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let us pray. Father, as you spoke through Peter on the day of Pentecost, as Lord, as your Holy Spirit dwelt within him, Lord, I pray you will please speak through me today uh, to your people here at Westacres. Lord, help us understand uh, your word. And Father, I, I just pray that you will please not, not only fill me with your spirit, but Lord, we have prayed for your spirit to rain down in this place today. Lord, I know we have many different walks of life, so many different situations that have come into this room today, uh, so many struggling with sin, so many struggling with addiction, so many struggling just with depression. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, but Father, I just pray that you will fill us with your spirit today. Father, I pray your church will be ready to hear your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
may be seated. After the Holy Spirit arrived on the day of Pentecost, the first major event of church history was the preaching of God's Word. That's the very first thing that happened after the Spirit came to town. God's Word was preached. Uh, preaching is central to Christianity. Why is that? Because Christians are people of the Word. We know God because we have His Word. It has always been indispensable. I would say this, if you're, if you're in a church that doesn't have preaching, you're not in a church. Uh, it is central to God's people. And, and I'm just thinking of what God did on the day of Pentecost, and maybe you uh, can relate with this. God has done so many wonderful things through the preaching of His Word. While I was praying for this message this morning, I said to myself, I would not be standing here if it wasn't for the preaching of God's Word. If it wasn't for the faithful preaching of the pastor we had at this church for 35 years, uh, I was thinking of the pastor that baptized me, Dave Sandridge, Thompson, Georgia. He's in heaven now. Just thankful for his faithfulness in preaching God's Word. I was faithful for a pastor named Ken Sexton, who's also in heaven now, died during COVID. It was during that time I was in the military, stumbled upon this church. What did that preacher do? He preached God's word. What did it do? It stepped on my toes, got my attention that I need to start changing the way I'm living, that I need to wake up to how God has called me to live. I am grateful for the preaching of God's word. We would not be here without the preaching of God's Word. And what's interesting about our passage today, we are given the first Christian sermon. The first Christian sermon. The first sermon of the church. This is one of the most important proclamations throughout all the Bible. And we're going to read, we're going to learn this as we go through the book of Acts. This is actually a book of preaching, a book of speeches. And we not only get to read history, but we get to also hear some great preachers preaching to the church this sermon explained what we're going to talk about today, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But you know what makes this sermon so awesome, so great? Its central focus is on Jesus Christ. That is the common denominator. That is what it's all about. It speaks about his identity as the Messiah. It speaks about his ministry. It speaks about his crucifixion. It speaks about his uh, resurrection. It speaks about his ascension. It also... Tells us how to respond to all this news. Peter is a really good preacher. You know why? Because he tells you how to respond to the, to the news you're listening to. He tells you how to be saved. He doesn't just say, hey, listen to this, this, and this. Go figure it out. But repeatedly throughout this message, he tells people how they shall be saved. What happens at the end of this word? Maybe if you're familiar with this passage, a lot of folks got saved. 3,000 people got saved. So it's an incredible part of church history. Now, I will just tell you this. Disclaimer, Peter was able to preach this sermon in one sitting. I'm not going to be able to do that. Uh, I'm going to be preaching this in parts because there's just so much here, so much to, to take care of, to preach to you, to our God's people. Um, so we're, we're going to begin with part one today, and we're going to cover the introduction to Peter's sermon and that's verses 14 through 21. But before we look at the sermon, I want to talk about the preacher for a little bit. I want to talk about the preacher. That's our first point. Now, God can speak through anyone. God can use anybody as his vessel. But it's very significant who he chose 
to preach this message. And when we understand who this preacher is, it adds even more glory to our God in heaven. The fact that he's using this man to preach this message. So who's preaching this message? The Apostle Peter. This is the same Peter we read about in the four Gospels. This is the same Peter uh, I shared last week. He was a Galilean. The modern vernacular, he was a redneck. Uh, This is the same Peter who was a fisherman. This is the same Peter who walked on water for a little bit anyway. This is the same Peter that had a tendency to speak too soon, to speak without thinking from time to time. And folks, this is the same Peter, if you know the chronological Uh, the the time frame of this story, 50 days earlier, had cowardly denied that he even knew the Lord Jesus. Let's go back to that night for a moment. Matthew chapter 26, verse 69 through 75. This is the night that Jesus is arrested, the night before he's crucified. It says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. She said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up And said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them. Your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. And as you know, Peter, he was very close to the Lord Jesus. He knew the Lord Jesus. He had faith in the Lord Jesus. He was one of the first ones to say, you're the Christ. He was the one that was in his inner circle with James and John. He witnessed the transfiguration. He witnessed so many awesome things. Peter was the one that says, I'll follow you to the death. He loved the Lord. But he wasn't prepared for what he was about to walk into. He denied the Lord three times. And folks, the text I just read to you explicitly says he made this statement. I don't even know the man. I don't even know the man. This was indeed one of the lowest points of Peter's life. His story could have very well ended here in that courtyard. But aren't you glad it didn't end there? Peter's story didn't end in failure. God had plans for this man named Peter. He had great plans for him. In fact, listen to this, before Peter ever denied the Lord, Jesus said to to him before this event even took place, and we see it in Luke's gospel, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. Wow. What a powerful, powerful sentence in Scripture. Jesus said, I have prayed for you. We know Jesus was a man of prayer. He woke up before it got light outside. He prayed so much. The disciples were like, I want to learn how to do that, Lord. 
can you just imagine when the Lord was by himself at a certain moment in history, he knew everything that was going to happen to Peter, and he prayed for him. He prayed for him that his faith would not fail, but he also says this, uh, can, I, can I remind you about something, church? He's praying for you. Uh, Romans 8.34 says he intercedes for us in heaven. The Lord Jesus, the all-knowing God, is praying for you and me. Praise for his church even now. Jesus foretold Peter's failure, but guess what? He also told him this, you're not going to stay there, Peter. It says, when you repent, strengthen your brothers. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say maybe. It says, Peter, when you get past this, I want you to get up and I want you to get back to the brethren and strengthen them. I've shared this before with our church body. It's just so interesting to me. But there's a rooster, a part of Peter's story. A rooster. Jesus said, before uh, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And I've always grown up hearing people say, you know, Peter probably had a complex every time he heard a rooster crow. Uh, He probably just did not like roosters. That's what some people imagine. But I've learned to see things differently. What do we know about roosters? Some of y'all probably have them at your house. Uh, I know some of you have chickens. Uh, But what do roosters do? They crow. They crow. When the rooster crows, what time of day does the rooster crow? In the morning. In the morning. Uh, A rooster's crow signifies a new day. Yes, Peter had failed miserably. Yes, this was the lowest point of his life, but I just love how Jesus used a rooster to be a part of his story, saying, yes, you're going to mess up. But there's going to be a new day, Peter. There's going to be a new day. Folks, we are all given a new day. You're living in it right now. You're living in it right now. And here's the thing. What are you going to do with that new day? What are you going to do with the rooster that crows in your life? Are you going to stay in your mess? Are you going to stay in your failure? Are you going to stay in your sin? Are you going to get up, turn around, turn to Jesus... And his will for your life. That is what a new day is for. And folks, if you've been living in yesterday, I just want to say the rooster has crowed this morning. It is a new day. The rooster is not a symbol of judgment in Peter's life. You know what the rooster is? It's a symbol of grace. It's a symbol of grace. God gave him a new day. John's gospel, we're given very... Uh, we're given details of a very intimate scene. It's in John chapter 21 between the resurrected Jesus and Peter. It took place by the beach. Maybe you remember that story. Peter said, hey, y'all, let's go fishing. But there was this figure by the beach, and it was the Lord Jesus, and he had breakfast waiting for him. I can't go into all the, the ins and outs of that story, but Jesus essentially restores Peter. He restores him. He reminds him what his true calling is. He says, listen, you're not a fisherman. You are a fisher of men. But then he gives him three commands. Listen to these three commands. He says, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. What do these commands mean? 
They conveyed the idea of being committed to the Lord's service as an under-shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. But he has put his apostles, he's put also pastors and leaders of the church to be under-shepherds that care for his flock. Who are Jesus' sheep? It's not literal sheep, but he's talking about his people, his children, his church. And how do you feed Jesus' sheep? With the word of God. With the word of God. So Peter's just been given this command to go take care of his sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And what are we reading about, folks, in Acts chapter 2? What's he doing? He's feeding his sheep with the word of God. He is preaching God's word. Praise be to God, Peter's story didn't end in failure. Praise be to God, your story doesn't have to end in failure. If you're just sitting around in your mess, wake up! You don't have to stay there. Jesus doesn't want you to stay there. He has saved you to get out of there. Peter went from being a man that cowardly said, I don't know the man, to being a bold witness. To being a bold preacher that preached everything, everything people needed to know about the man. He had a total change in his life. What was the change in Peter's life? Did he change his diet? Did he have a new exercise routine? Uh, was he following some new blogger? Uh, I mean, what was going on? What brought this change in his life? The change is what we read about last week. The change is who we were singing about earlier this morning. The change was the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God came amongst the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Came into their life. He had the Holy Spirit living within him. Notice the change in how he addresses the people. The last time we read Peter, earlier in Matthew's gospel, he's weeping bitterly. He's, he's living in his failure. But right here in verse 14 it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Peter is not speaking as someone that is scared. He's not speaking as a coward, but he is speaking with confidence. He is speaking with boldness. There's no fear or hesitation in his voice. And he's talking to thousands of people, y'all. He was scared of a servant girl on the night of Jesus' arrest, but right now he is talking to a bunch of grown-ups in Jerusalem during the Feast of Weeks. He's not speaking in his own power, but he's speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't speaking Peter's words, but he was speaking God's words. He wasn't speaking by his authority, but he was speaking by God's authority. It's an amazing change that has happened in this man's life. To quote Kent Hughes, he says, Why was Peter's first sermon so great? Both Peter and his sermon were full of Christ, full of Scripture, and full of the Holy Spirit. Now that we know a little bit about the preacher, let's move on into the sermon. As I've mentioned already, we're only going to cover the introduction of this sermon. That's verses 14 through 21. Uh, but Peter opens up by correcting a misunderstanding in the crowd. He's actually addressing the folks that were mocking the disciples. The ones that were saying, these guys are drunk. These guys are drunk with new wine. So Peter gives us the rebuttal. That's the second heading of our message today. 
You know, in my preaching classes, maybe you might be familiar with public speaking classes. Anybody have to take those in college? Anybody? You're just too scared to tell me, aren't you? Because you're scared I'm going to call you up here. Uh, but one of the things they teach you in public speaking uh, and, and preaching classes is, listen, you need to open with an attention grabber. you gotta, you got to hook that crowd. Because if you don't get their attention in the very, few, uh, the very first moments of your sermon, you're never going to have their attention throughout the sermon. So you're supposed to have an attention grabber. Uh, can I tell you, Peter had the perfect attention grabber. Uh, and it wasn't of him. It was the Holy Spirit. What drew this crowd to, to witness what he was about to say? It was the Holy Spirit coming to town like a mighty rushing wind that filled the room that they were in. Uh, but it wasn't just loud to the 120 disciples. Everybody in town could hear. In fact, we know that Peter is speaking to at least 3,000 people right here. Thousands of people could hear this sound. Moreover, once they made it to wherever they were, which should have been close to the temple... Uh, the disciples were speaking the mighty works of God in different languages. I shared that last week. You know, we hear that word tongues in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 here. This was known languages. Because we had all these different people groups represented there, and they could understand their spoken tongue being spoken. So, uh, Peter had the crowd's attention. Uh, that wasn't the problem. Notice the very first words and the very first Christian sermon. You would think it was something very deep, something very academic, something just very spiritual. What were the first sermons? What were the first words in the first Christian sermon? These people are not drunk. They're not drunk. They're not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. What an opener. What an opener. Uh, maybe one day I'll use that if the choir's just going crazy up here, okay? Um, but the third hour of the day, the third hour of the day is 9 a.m. This is the hour of prayer. And folks, in Jerusalem, no one would even eat breakfast. Some of you are like, man, I'm done. Uh, you wouldn't even eat or drink until after the hour of prayer. And let's not forget the day of Pentecost. It took place during what is called the Feast of Weeks. This is one of the three annual feasts uh, where devout Jews uh, would make their way to Jerusalem to worship God and to give an offering. Now, some of you are probably like, pastor, preacher, I know plenty of people that are drunk before 9 a.m. This is not the case in Jerusalem. And Peter is very quick to point that fact out. And in fact, it's rather comical. He's saying, listen... These people aren't drunk. Besides, it's way too early for that. That's, it's just ridiculous how funny that is. In Scripture, the disciples were not filled with wine, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Man, after Peter gives a rebuttal for this ridiculous claim of drunkenness, he then goes on to explain what this means. He gives us the explanation. Let's look at verses 16 through 21. Uh, Peter explains to the people that this loud sound and miraculous speaking of different languages is of the Holy Spirit. And how does he do this? How do you go about explaining that to all these people? Uh, he could have very well used the teachings of Christ that he had heard firsthand. Jesus spoke so much about the Holy Spirit. He spoke so much about the Helper that was to come. But the Holy Spirit, who is within 
Peter led him to share a very familiar word with these devout Jews that have gathered around this place. He quoted the prophet Joel. He quotes Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. Uh, but verse 16 says, But this was uttered through the prophet Joel. Notice Peter does not say that the day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Why do I say that? It's not, a fully, it's not a full fulfillment because the signs and wonders we read about in this passage have not all happened yet. And if you read Joel's prophecy, the context behind that passage has to do with the day of the Lord. Now what is the day of the Lord? Uh, what is the day of the Lord? That's something we need to learn about more in the Christian church. But the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. And it's associated with the second coming of Christ. Uh, the signs in the earth and the heavens, uh, Joel mentioned, are connected where other places in the Bible speak of Jesus' second coming. Uh, one of those passages would be uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 through 30, where Jesus is speaking about the sun and the moon and the stars. Jesus is speaking here. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then Jesus will appear in heaven, the sign, of, excuse me, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Joel's prophecy will not be fully fulfilled until we get closer and closer to the day of the Lord. However, Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, saw this passage as being an application to the church. He's saying the same Holy Spirit you, we know about in Joel's prophecy is the same Holy Spirit that's causing everything you're seeing today. The same Holy Spirit you're reading about here in Joel is the same Holy Spirit that is here. He is here. But why does Peter quote the entire prophecy of Joel here in chapter 2? Why does he do that? Why couldn't he just cherry pick? Why couldn't he just say, okay, let's just use this part to communicate the Holy Spirit. He shares the entire passage. Why does he do that? Just to save us a little time, I want you to focus on verse 17. Peter mentions the last seven days. This is actually a slight variation from what Joel's actual prophecy says. But Peter uses the words, the last days. Peter is saying this, folks. These days have arrived. You might hear old timers, you might hear people thinking, oh wow, these are holy rollers, saying we're in the end times, we are in the last days. Guess what? They are so right. Because if you live between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming, if you live in between that time, guess what those days are known as? The last days. We are living in the last days. Christ has come. Christ has died on the cross. Christ has resurrected. Christ has ascended. Christ has sent His Holy Spirit into this world. With that being said, folks, we're waiting on one final act Amen. in the grand narrative of redemption. Amen. And that is the return of the great and glorious King. Amen. That's what's next. That's what's next. So it's a true statement. We are in the last days. We see that throughout the New Testament. Peter didn't know when Jesus would return. 
Nobody knows. Why is that? Why, why does God keep it such a mystery? I'll tell you why he keeps it a mystery. Because if we knew the date, we'd be procrastinating like crazy. You'd have folks saying, I'll get saved the day before. I'll, I'll take care of business later on. That's why you don't even know your last day. Because we're lazy. We're sinful. We have deceitful hearts. We would just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. That's why we don't know. Peter, though, had expectancy with the Lord's return. He had expectancy, and all the apostles had the expectancy. For all we know, Peter could have thought Jesus was coming back later that day. For all we know, Peter could have thought Jesus was coming back next week. He didn't see the day of the Lord as being some day in the distant future. He didn't see the day of the Lord as being some time after he died. He saw it coming soon and very soon. That's why they treated it with urgency. They thought it could happen immediately. So why else does Peter quote this entire passage of Joel? He wants us to know about the Holy Spirit. He wants to let us know about the last days. But secondly, he wants us to, let, he wants us to know how we should be responding to this news. And the last line of that prophecy is key. Look at me in verse 21. Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The day of the Lord is going to be a terrifying day for folks that aren't saved. The day of the Lord is going to be a terrifying day for those who have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's going to be a day of judgment. It's going to be a day of mourning. It's going to be a day of wrath. And for Peter, who has the crowd's attention by the Holy Spirit, these people are glued in, by the way, for him to share this prophecy would have shaken these people to the core. It would have shaken them to the core to know that, wow, we are living in these days. What do I need to do about it? And Peter, like any good preacher, tells them what they need to do about it. He tells them they need to be saved. They need to call out to the Lord for salvation. Up until that day arrives, anyone who turns to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be saved. Amen. Folks, that's the, that's the introduction of Peter's sermon. He's just started preaching. He's already given the altar call. He's just started preaching. He's already given the appeal, saying you need to be saved. You need to be saved. There's urgency in this appeal. There's urgency in this appeal because our promised king, who has come already, who has ascended to heaven, says he is coming again. In other parts of scripture, it says he will come like a thief in the night. We don't know, but we are to be ready. We are to be ready. With that being said, if you don't know Jesus, you need to be saved today. You need to be saved today. I say it in these words. I know some of us have been hearing it. However old you are, you've been in church. There's no better way of saying this. Today is the day for salvation. 
the day you hear about Jesus and the day you hear about your need for Jesus is the day you need to call out to Him to be saved. So I say this to whoever here needs to hear this, whoever needs to hear this lost person that's stumbled in this place, maybe you're lost, you've been coming to church all your life, I don't know. Today is the day to be saved. And Peter's told you how to be saved. You call on to the name of the Lord. And I just want to let you know uh, how you do that. How do you, what, what does this entail? Calling out to the name of the Lord for salvation. What well, includes this? It includes a heart that recognizes that it's sinful. It includes a heart that recognizes, listen, if I don't change my trajectory, my destination is eternity in hell. If I, it includes a heart that says, if I don't come to Christ, I'm going to have to face the music on this day of the Lord. And I just want to tell you how you can be saved today. Yes, calling on to the name of the Lord, but it includes this. And the sincerity of your heart, where you sit, where you are right now, you can pray a prayer like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I know I'm lost. I know I'm going to hell. I don't want to go there. And Lord, I know you don't want me to go there either. Lord, I want you to save me. I want you to come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. You put your faith and trust in him for salvation. What does that mean? That means you trust in what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago as your salvation. It's not based on your good deeds. Uh, when, we get, uh, when we get to the day, of, uh, the final day, there's not going to be these scales that say, okay, you did this much good and this much bad. It has nothing to do with what you've done. You've earned what you're going to get. The wages of sin is death. Amen. Jesus has given you salvation. And we are called to just come to him in faith and trust. And once you come to that point, you have a relationship with him. So I just say this, if you pray that prayer, the Lord to come into your life, in the sincerity of your heart, can I tell you some good news? You shall be saved. You shall be saved. And I pray that you will make that decision today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.